All right, welcome back to the big program. Time now for On the Mark. Powered by Booster Juice, visit a location today to refuel, refresh, and re-energize, or download the new Booster Juice Rewards app to earn, order, and enjoy as we welcome in Mark Spector from Rogers Sports Night. Go east, go west, young man. Take a picture. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get any any comments about that yesterday? No, I don't think so, actually. I never really... (laughs) You, You nipped it in the bud quite quickly. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, you posted a picture spec, was quite beautiful. Yes. And so that was looking west and the reflection of the sun, I guess, coming from the east. Because apparently, this is what I heard, the, the sun rises in the east and then kind of gets a I little... Heard that. Yeah. <laughs> Did they change that at some point, by the way? <laughs> I don't know. You know what? It's funny uh, you mentioned stuff like that. There's a couple stories. And I always remember Scotty Bulldog Olson telling me a story. He was going to um, cycle across Canada. This is a number okay. of years back. So he wanted to uh, cycle. He was going to raise money for something. And he started, He, uh, you know, and this is like Terry Fox, really, when you think about it. You know, he was going into the wind the whole time, right? Yeah. You know, when Terry Fox ran across Canada. But, and, and Scotty's kind of had that voice. And he goes, well, I started out and then, and I, I don't know, I just it was too hard for me. And I forgot about the prevailing west wind, he said. <laughs> Yeah. Where did he start? Well, I can't remember now. And it might have been just Western Canada. We'll have to talk to Scotty about it. We'll get him on one of these days, too. But just the way he said it, I I forgot about the prevailing West wind. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. And you think, just think, I mean, Terry Fox, I mean, that guy was face first into it for, you know, all the way to Thunder Bay. All the way to Thunder Bay. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Holy man. Well, Scotty Olson did some cool stuff. I never quite envisioned him as a, the next Terry Fox, however. Mm. No. <laughs> Maybe cycling. the next cycling, Willie DeWitt. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was he was a pretty tough cookie and, you know, everything. He was. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, very tough, tough boxer and, and a good guy. Uh, he's a uh, salt-of-the-earth kind of guy and, uh, you know, he's doing lots for the community still. And It's weird. The, the boxing scene used to be... Oh. You know, it's everything's evolved, right? Everything's moved. Like I can remember in the Edmonton Journal having, you know, dedicated huge swaths of spaces to, to space to horse racing. Every day you had the picks and you had the results, and it was a big deal. And if you didn't have the horse racing in, people phoned to complain. Yeah. Well, now that, that barely exists. And boxing was huge back then. Mm-hmm. You know, we I, that was my first beat at the Edmonton Journal. Even the boxing beat <laughs> wrote boxing every day in the Edmonton Journal. And of course, no one writes boxing anymore. Somehow, certainly not every day. So I guess we we evolve as time goes on here. But boxing was fun. It was a big part of our city at one time. It's sad the way it has been covered in the last little while. And again, that's just the nature of our business, what's happened. But we've had Ken Lacoust in here twice now in the last five months. Mm-hmm. We had him in because Laddie Schmid was talking about the fact that we just brought up Kenny's name just out of the blue one day. And we were talking about how he, you know, how he, he fought Larry Holmes and, and all these guys. And, and Laddie was going, you're kidding. He couldn't believe it. So then we brought Ken in and had a great conversation. And then Ken came in with, with Ethan Hallaby, who's uh, by all accounts, one of the top up and coming boxers. So, you know, it's still there, I think, Speck. It's just still there, right? I think it's still there. The stories are still there. It's just a matter of the media in town isn't there. How's that sound? Yeah, no, well, it's a a steady erosion of media. I mean, the Edmonton 
you know, Journal and Sun mm-hmm. has like three sports writers. Yeah. You know, there used to be two staffs of of eight or nine guys or people on each side of the street, and we covered, you know, competed against each other. I wrote against uh, Murray Gregg. He was the boxing writer for the Edmonton yes. Sun, and we both went out trying to beat each other every day and found lots of good stories. And anyway, listen, it's, it's I don't know. I think it, this is a microcosm of you know the the. Industry the death of media yeah. is is just is you know in this case this conversation it's bad for boxing and in the bigger picture it's bad for everything. There's not enough. There's not as many people at City Hall catching, you know, catching the mistakes mm-hmm. they're making at City Hall. There's not enough people covering government catching the people that are cutting corners in government. More journalists is good, not bad. You know, I couldn't agree with you more, especially in the sense of how, and these younger reporters that come in and they get put on a beat like City Hall or uh, the Premier Provincial Government, they're probably, by all accounts, at the very start, they're not ready for it and they're missing stuff, and that's just the nature of the beast because they don't have the smaller centres to go and make those mistakes in. Yeah, no, that's fair, that's Mm -hmm. fair, but... Thank God for sports radio, Kev. That's all. What I would can we say. do without sports fourteen forty spec? What would we do? You know, and then that's what we do. Well, then I, you know, uh, I was reading your article this morning because it came out. Well, it came out yesterday, but after we were kind of done yeah. our hit and whatever. So just with Connor McDavid, and it's kind of a, you know, it's nothing that it's. It, this is an all star piece. I think you would agree with that. Where you're kind of going, well, we'll we've got to kind of find something to put together, but. What Connor's done this year is he's playing way differently than he has in the past. Yeah, Connor's McDavid's game, I think, has hit. A, it's a different place, right? And you know, like he said, it's not. He said it's a good thing that people aren't writing about Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle, uh, you know, carrying the team and setting all these numbers. He said this is good for our team. You know, he says we got a better team around us. He's playing a different game. You know, I think what I notice the most, and and you know, when I watch him, when we watch him play, he always is very. He, he was very instinctive in the offensive zone. He knew where the puck was going to go before it got there. He knows. You know, you watch him play on offense, and it's it's a treat to watch. And he's the best guy in the league. What I see now is a guy who's who is just as instinctive in his own end. He sees what's happening, and he's getting to the place to the spot. He knows who to check. He's not standing there watching stuff happen and go, oh, geez, I should have been over there. Uh, he's as instinctive defensively now. He's way more physical. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw, I think it was, was it Chicago? He got into it with Dickinson. Yep. Uh, they went it, into the again. the figure four leg lock, the two of them. Yeah, right. But he got into it in the corner with them. And, you know, he's just, you can't get to the net on Connor McDavid the way you used to be able to. And uh, to be honest, this game looks like Crosby's game now. He's playing the same way. He's defensively and physically and putting himself, you know, in, in front of guys who are trying to get somewhere. Uh, his his game is it's just, I think it's finally at a place where it's absolutely well-rounded. And, uh, you know, this, this is the kind of game that can take a team somewhere, that's for sure. It's so much harder to play defense at any position. And it's so much harder to defend than play offense. And especially when you're the most gifted, quickest offensive player that we've ever seen that can dart in and out at and make plays at the highest speed and the highest level that we've ever seen. When you combine that, and I, I like your word instinctive spec in the sense that 
this is a guy that knows exactly how the offensive zone works. But if you just turn that around and go, um, I'm going to use those same thoughts, that same thought process, and do it defensively, because he knows where the puck is going to go. He knows what these guys are going to be, what kind of plays they're going to make. Now you're now you're talking like like a all around player that is available in all situations. Not that he wasn't before, but you're confident that he is going to make a play everywhere on the ice. And then maybe that wasn't the case a couple of years ago, I guess. And that's the well, genesis of your article. Yeah, I think too. Like, I think you got to remember when you're when you're Connor McDavid and you've been the best offensive player on your team since you were five years old. First of all, teams, you know, he grew up, his teams just said, take the puck and go. Don't worry about defense. Just go get us goals and we'll figure out the other end of the ice. So he probably spends the first, you know, 12 or 13 years of his hockey life not even really thinking very hard about defense, right? Because he's not likely not encouraged to play that way, you know. And then he gets to the NHL and, and, it's all, you know, it's all about offense always. And it's kind of like, so I give up a goal. I'm going to get us three, right? So I give one up, big deal. Well, then you start getting into playoff series where getting the goal gets really hard and giving it up happens mm-hmm. more and more. And at some point, you know, I think it's inside between your own ears. You have to say, okay, it, it, it can't. We can't play the trade-off anymore. We can't play the all-score three and give up one or two. And I think that's what we're seeing. He's, his points are down a little bit, right? Bit, points yeah. are down. And he's he's certainly not worried about it. But I, I just see a, 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 I don't know, a maturation where you say, where he, he's not leaving it to everybody else to defend. He's not leaving it to someone else. You know, I'm going to go, you get the puck and give it to him. He's not that player anymore. And you can see it every night. He's he's deep. You know, he spends more time skating through his own slot than he ever did uh, in the first three or four years here. And that's just a guy that's grown up, right? You know, the other thing, too, and we always say, yeah, he's a little bit behind in the scoring race. And he could give a rat's ass about the scoring race right now. And you've mentioned that a hundred times, and a lot of people have. But Kucherov has 85 points. McDavid has 67. The Oilers have five games in hand. I mean, yeah. you know, if he if he can if he get, puts together a couple of games here, he's he's right behind Kucherov and McKinnon, and and that's well, simple. and as he said in the piece, care. he wrote, he said, you know what, says, this isn't about winning another Art Ross or a Hart. He says we've been there, we've done that. Uh, might he win another Art Ross? Sure, he will at some mm-hmm. point. I mean, he's won three in a row. He's won five overall. Uh, I think his, you know, certainly. His concentration here and his focus is, hey, if he wins in our Ross, great, but that's not where his head's at these days. I don't think it is either. And, I mean, you're going to see even a more maturation, I think, even in the second half here. Uh, there's going to be a time here when the Oilers stumble and they're going to lose a few in a row. I think yeah. that's just going to happen. And now it's going to be interesting to see if they stay with the process of what's been successful here and these kind of tighter, low-scoring games, or they go, uh, let's open it up, uh, that's going to be the interesting uh, dynamic here. Uh, Speck got a text in from Pillman, and, and this is just about, uh, we were talking about the big picks. Um, it's different, Speck, during daylight savings time. So I don't know if you ever want to throw that into when you're taking these pictures of, out there in the sun. Um <laughs> 
Our keen listeners. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They, they don't so miss us. Did you take that picture right after we went off the air? I did, yeah. yeah. And I then did. you posted it on, you sent it out on the Twitter. Yeah, and of you, course. Yeah, and we saw it. I thought it was just beautiful. I think that that's something you should get, you know, like maybe a little painting done. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe... Maybe when they fire my rear end out of Sportsnet <laughs> one day, I got a career as a photographer. <laughs> well, the other thing too, Spec. So, is that like the garage or a shed? What is that? That's a garage. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hey, don't rip my garage. So what if it's got a gravel floor in it? Okay. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't Duke. Duke said on the air yesterday that he thought it was the cabin. That no. is not true. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said it yesterday. I said, is that the cabin? I go, no, no, no. No, that's just a, hey, man, I always say this is a humble little joint out here. Uh, well, and, I can't wait uh, for the invite because we're going to bring the Popemobile out there. So now we just oh, yeah. stay, we stay right in the driveway, I guess. Oh, great. You know. I'm, well, yeah, sure. I don't, what are you laughing at, Duke? Well, Duke's just laughing hilarious. Well, Speck just sounded ecstatic about the fact oh. that you're just rolling in and uh, camping out on his front lawn for however long you want well, to. we got, you know, our, we're like just, it's totally, uh, basically we got our own heat. We got everything. We could come out right now if you wanted. Stay overnight. Yeah. Well, you better wait till the golf courses open out here. Yeah. Which course? <laughs> otherwise, do you go- you're going to be hanging around my house all day, which right. I don't need. <laughs> Adam and Spruce says host the next Specs deck at his cabin. Yeah, yeah, we did put. You mm-hmm. know what? Uh, two summers ago, we put a band on the deck out here. You know whose band it was? It was Al Stafford's band. Oh, really? Yeah, with Audie Linz and those guys. <laughs> What's Al play the kazoo? No, he plays guitar <laughs> and lead singer. He, they were great. Really? You get a band going, and all of a sudden, all these people hear the music and just show up like all these strangers you never even heard of. Well, you get and, Kissel again, maybe we'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be looking, now that he's a big-time operator, he'll be looking for a little, some dollar bills in his back pocket for the I appearance. Know, he played at, at our house one time in Specs yeah. Deck. I always tell him that was, he'd be nowhere without Specs Deck. <laughs> he kind of pats me on the head and moves on. <laughs> yeah, I know. All right, hey, Speck, thanks for this big guy. We'll, we'll talk to you tomorrow morning. Take care, man. Okay. That is uh, On The Mark, energized by Booster Juice. Get the boost you need. At Booster Juice. When we come back, Matt Larkin from the Daily Faceoff and our Mr. Rooter, headliner of the day. That's on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Time now for our headliner of the day, brought to you by Mr. Rooter. At Mr. Rooter, they only employ the finest organic grain fed free range plumbers. For all your plumbing needs, go to mrrooter.ca as we welcome in Matt Larkin from the Daily Faceoff. Morning, Matt. Welcome back to Sports 1440. Thank you very much, Kevin. Was that Don Henley yet playing me in? It put me in a good mood. Well, you know, sometimes we ask our guests if they enjoy their intro song, so I, I guess you like that one? I do. You know, I think he's a good talent, and mm-hmm. just, uh, it's upbeat, you know, and, and there's a lot of uh, sad news around the hockey world, and sometimes you need something to, to get you feeling good. Well, that's what the Duke tries to do. You know, in, in a sad world, he tries to bring a spark of joy every morning with our uh, intro song. So uh, whether it be the Eagles or his Brian Adams 740 uh, hit, it, it's just a nonstop uh, around here. Uh, thanks for hopping on again, uh, Matt. Uh, just to, are, you a, are you a big all-star kind of game guy or the skills? Are you looking forward to maybe the skills a little more this year with uh, the Bucks on the line and things like that? 
Yeah, I, I think most of the time I always say that the quality of the All-Star game is inversely proportional to the amount of contact in the sport. So the Pro Bowl is the worst. Mm-hmm. The NHL All-Star game tends to be the second worst. Major League Baseball has the least amount of contact. So the All-Star game is by far the best because you can replicate the real thing the best. That said, I am excited for the changes this year. I think they've done a good job overhauling everything. Bringing back the player draft is exciting. That's usually good for some laughs. We'll see who the next Phil Kessel is going to be picked last. (laughs) And I do think the change in the skills competition is going to be very exciting. Having 12 competitors, eight different events going for a million bucks. I'm a little concerned for their safety considering it ends with an obstacle course, but I assume the NHL has gone to great lengths to plan this out, and we don't want to see any of our stars getting hurt. So hopefully it works out, and I'm more excited than I've been in a while. Hmm. You know, I was asking Frank Saravalli yesterday if he knew what this obstacle course looked like uh, to close out the skills competition. He said he had no idea. So I kind of agree with you. I hope, uh, you know, you never want to see anybody get hurt. The, the fastest skater thing is the one where you go, oh, boy, someone, you know, blows out a wheel. And next thing you know, he goes into the boards. It's happened a few times, and everyone just sort of holds their breath, I guess. That's right. And, and the parent in me always wants to say, put a helmet on. It makes me nervous <laughs> when I see them whipping around those corners. I can say with the obstacle course, what we do know is that it will combine elements of every other event. So I, it sounds like it's going to be the players having to redo a little bit of each event all in a row as part of this final circuit. So that might be a hint as to what the obstacle course will look like, but we'll see. Matt Larkin, Daily Faceoff, our guest on Sports 1440. You just had the, I guess, episode 46, Puck Poolies, and uh, just uh, let's discuss this a little bit. What was kind of catching your eye and what, uh, you know, content and what were the main topics of uh, this episode here on the Daily, daily Faceoff? Well, for Puck Toolies, because we're a fantasy hockey podcast, of course, uh, we always sort of take stock at this point as we go into the All-Star break. I shuffle the deck and do a new edition of the fantasy rankings, which will be dropping tomorrow on Daily Faceoff, the top 300. And we sort of were just going over various difficult decisions that were made when I was making these rankings. Sometimes it's a matter of deciding at the top, right? Is it Connor McDavid? Still number one, Nathan McKinnon's being the best player in fantasy hockey this year. But at the same time, he has the injury history. He usually misses time. And I do expect Connor McDavid to be the best player from now until the end of the season. So I did still keep number 97 in first place in those rankings. And the other element when we're at this time of year, when you're going through your rankings, you're trying to project out how every player will perform the rest of the season. And that includes guys who might get traded. Those are the hardest players to project. So, for example, Elias Lindholm on the Calgary Flames having a really bad year by his standards, but there's a great chance he gets traded to a really exciting situation, whether it's Colorado or Boston, whatever it might be, and might be playing with elite players, and his numbers could skyrocket. So that's someone you have to project as if he's going to do better on on a new team. So it's difficult to do at this time of year, but it's fun as well. And then how much do you kind of focus on prospects as well when you're doing something like this? I know Stephen Ellis, that's kind of his bread and, and butter at the DFO, but where, where do you kind of look forward and, and kind of just touch on that basis? Yeah, I think the prospect focus in the rankings, uh, it's greater before the season starts because that's when we have a sense of which players are making their teams 
and making an impact over the course of the season. In hockey, compared to, let's say, a sport like baseball, when you have mid-season call-ups, the impacts, I find, are not quite as strong. If you have a prospect coming up from the AHL in the middle of a year, uh, you might see sometimes a player come in from college turning pro, and he helps in, in the real playoffs, but by then the fantasy hockey season is over. So when you're doing mid-season rankings, mm-hmm. the prospects don't matter as much. The one thing I'll say is prospect pedigree matters. So if you have a player who's been in the league for a couple years – and his performance suddenly takes off, and that player was a first-round pick, you sort of chalk it up to not necessarily being a fluke, and you pay more attention. So it's almost like former prospects are of particular interest when you're in the middle of the season. A good example being Ukepeka Lukanen in Buffalo having a great surge in their net, and people thought Devin Levi was going to be the star, but I think a lot of people forget UPL was considered the best goalie prospect in the world maybe five years ago. So that's an example of a former prospect mm-hmm. suddenly becoming relevant. Matt Larkin, our guest on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440, as we are in the All-Star break, are there surprises between either, you know, you can touch on any other players or teams. Are there certain surprises that maybe have caught your eye at the break at this point of the season that maybe you kind of went at the beginning, oh, this guy or this team really, I didn't think that this was going to happen, or and now you look at it and go, holy cow, I was a little off at this at the start of the season. For sure. I think the biggest surprise is to me just so many teams that fast. Mm, I think we might have lost Matt. Do we still got him, Duke, or not? We'll we'll try to get Matt back. I think uh, just lost a connection here. That's uh, Matt Larkin from the Daily Faceoff. And uh, I guess the last question that I posed to him was, uh, are there surprises player-wise or are there surprises team-wise and I think we got Matt back on the line here can you hear me now Matt I can yeah perfect yeah so I guess just I pose the question surprises maybe team-wise or player-wise at this point of the season for you yeah so what I was saying was uh, I think the biggest surprise to me is looking at the standings and seeing how many teams that really expected to be Stanley Cup contenders who are just barely even in the fight to make the playoffs. So the Pittsburgh Penguins stand out. You trade for the reigning Norris Trophy winner. You're bringing Kyle Dubas. They brought in so many pieces, Riley Smith, Ryan Graves, and they're not looking like a team that's going to make the playoffs right now. New Jersey Devils, of course, that was my Stanley Cup pick. And as of yesterday, their playoff odds, 20.1%. So many injuries, so many goaltending problems. So in the standings, I'm seeing surprises. In terms of individual performances, I think you you have to point to Sam Reinhart having this unbelievable contract year uh, for the Florida Panthers, and he's been almost keeping pace with Austin Matthews in the goals column, which is pretty amazing. The shooting percentage doesn't look sustainable. It might be a little bit like Bo Horvat a year ago. He was on a 60-goal pace halfway through the season, and it fell off, so we might see that. But either way, talk about uh, delivering in a contract year. And I just think we've seen some really fascinating goaltending performances, guys coming seemingly out of nowhere, Joey Decord in Seattle, Connor Ingram in Arizona, Alex Lyon in Detroit. It just seems like every year we're finding these goaltending gems who take over and become stars. 
You know, it's funny you mentioned Joey DeCorders. We're speaking with Matt Larkin from the Daily Faceoff. Our Tuesday co-host here on the Kevin Carey Show is Grant Fear. Grant does a color commentary for the Coachella Valley Firebirds, where Joey DeCord's kind of been seasoning and getting ready. And now he's sitting here with a 2.32 goals against average fourth in the league. And Grant said right from day one and when we started the show here in Sports 1440 that Joey DeCord is going to be an unbelievable goaltender. He's going to be a top, a top level, higher echelon goaltender in the NHL. And we're all kind of going, really, Grant? And then you see what's going on here. He is, in my mind, one of the most pleasant surprises uh, going forward. Uh, one question team-wise for you, Matt. What about Vancouver? I mean, did you, did you first of all, did you have Vancouver as a playoff team at the start of the year? And what can you say about the fact that they're probably the only team really, at least in the West, that has never had a little bit of a stumble here yet? Yes, it's a great question. Um, I'm proud to say I did have the Vancouver Good. playoff team going into the season. I saw some positive signs in the second half. Rick Tockett took over. They look like a better team defensively. They added some nice pieces on the defensive side of the puck. So even a forward like Pia Suter, Teddy Bluger, those are good defensive forwards. They brought in Carson Soucy. They fortified that blue line. The Philip Hronick trade hadn't yet paid dividends because he was banged up late in the season, but I thought it was going to be a good move, and it was going to allow Quinn Hughes to move over to the left side instead of constantly moving back and forth and sometimes having to play his offside. So you have a team that is playing more disciplined defensively. Thatcher Demko was really good in the second half when he came back from injury as well. And then you still have all that star power. That was the element of the team that even last year was already present. Elias Pettersson, 102 points last year. JT Miller playing well after a slow start last year. So much talent. Quinn Hughes, of course. And then, of course, I think the biggest surprise to me is Brock Besser, someone whose shot volume is way down. And yes, he's been a bit lucky with the shooting percentage this year, but it's nice to see him finally get that 30-goal season. But if you tie it all together, you have a team that already had a lot of high-end talent. What was missing was depth and discipline. And now they have those two under Rick Tockett, who I think is the front runner to win the Jack Adams Award. And I think this is actually a true contender. I don't know if they're the team to beat. They still have some flaws, but I think they are for real. And I, I, I had them more of a wild-card team when I was forecasting them. I didn't think they'd be this good, but it just feels like every single piece has come together. And it's possible we see them add another important player leading up to the trade deadline. Matt Larkin, our guest on Sports 1440. What do you make of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Matt? About two weeks ago, I said that the Leafs were not a lock to make the playoffs, but because of the Islanders, Penguins, Devils, and Capitals being uh, mediocre for the last couple of weeks, now the Leafs are kind of, you know, they're kind of solidifying a spot. What's your take on uh, Teal? Yeah, they sort of are what I thought they were uh, in the summer. So when I looked at the moves that Brad True Living made, I didn't love them. And I said in the summer, this team is still going to score a lot, but they're going to regress a lot defensively. And that's exactly what's happened. I think when you bring in players like Max Domi, John Klingberg, Ryan Reeves, all those players are known for being black holes defensively. So even if they bring other elements, I think it was there in plain sight that this team was going to take a big step back. And that's exactly what they've done. It doesn't surprise me at all. I think this is who they are. Mm-hmm. They're still a dangerous team. They they showed that against the Winnipeg Jets, of course, two big wins. They can still score at the best of them. They still have the star power. But I don't think they're a top-tier contender because they just don't defend very well. Uh, seeing them up close regularly, there are nights when the defensive zone coverage is pretty embarrassing almost. That would be the word I use. Um, so... It's going to be a matter of does Bradford Living think he has the horses if he upgrades the decor? I almost wonder if this team needs to trade for two defensemen, not one. So 
maybe it's Chris Tanev, but maybe you have to go and get another guy, whether it's a Nick Sealer or Sean Walker, whoever it might be. But this team is not tough enough to play against. I think if you're a Leafs fan, the silver lining, this is a team that for so many years in a row already had its playoff spot kind of locked up very early in the year and knew its opponent. This time they're going to be battle-tested. They're coming into the playoffs. If they make it, they might be getting in in the final week, the final day. They could be in a situation like we saw with the Florida Panthers last year where you're so battle-tested that you're almost in playoff mode anyway, and then you roll into the playoffs and you're already kind of ready for battle. Uh, And so I think that's what you're hoping for if you're a Leafs fan, that maybe being in the trenches with all those wild-card teams is going to actually make them stronger. Hey, Matt, what do you make of the Detroit Red Wings? Looks like Patrick Kane will be returning to the lineup soon there as well. Yeah, to me, they're the definition of what the kids say, what the kids call (laughs) mid. And to me, I look at what Steve Eiserman uh, has done, and I think he jumped the gun a little bit in the last two off-seasons. I don't think he had enough high-end talent. He spent a lot of money on mid-tier free agents, guys like Andrew Kopp, JT Comfer, those types. It did help to bring in a higher-end talent like Alex Dabrinkit, but when I just look at the total package, I just don't know if this team has a high enough ceiling to really make noise. And yes, they have some exciting prospects, of course. Simon Edmondson, you have guys like Carter Mazur, Sebastian Kosa. You've brought through, you've graduated to the pros, guys like Moritz Sider and, of course, Lucas Raymond. But what the Wings don't have is a projected center who's going to be uh, the type of player that challenges for scoring titles. So when you don't have that piece to build around, I wonder if Iserman made his move too soon. And now you have this team. To me, I just see a team that's going to be in that wild card bubble for years to come. I don't see mm-hmm. a very high ceiling. I think they're, they're decent. They're improved. They're competitive. But even if they make the playoffs, to me, they look like a pretty, uh, pretty pushover opponent for whoever the higher seed would be. Text coming in, one 1440 Why aren't we talking about McKinnon having points in all his home games this year? 51-25, and 25, that comes from Mitchell. Okay, let's talk about it. Matt Larkin, uh, top two guys, I guess, in the Hart Trophy race right now would be Kucherov and McKinnon. But what's your take on McKinnon, the season he's had? He's really powered the avalanche to where they are. And just your thoughts on what Nate the Great is doing. It's just been a joy to watch. Uh, I always say, you know, he has the the speed and fury of Connor McDavid, but also the power of, let's say, a peak Alex Ovechkin. He almost reminds me, if you're an NFL fan, like of Adrian Peterson in his prime, no one wanted to tackle him when he had a head of steam. And mm-hmm. Nathan McKinnon, to me, it's just, he's just galloping down the ice when he has that head of steam. It's so exciting. He plays with almost an anger, ferocity. So I really enjoy watching him. And to me, I'm just hoping as a fan to see him get through a whole season because McKinnon almost never plays a whole season. He used to get good to miss half a dozen games, 10, 12, 14, 15 games a year. Kind of reminiscent of, of again, Malkin in his prime where the talent was so elite, but he almost never played a full season. So I'm really hoping he gets to 82 games, even 80 games, can finally add that Hart Trophy to his trophy case, maybe in Art Ross as well, because we're seeing a Hall of Fame resume being built here. Of course, he's got the playoff success now, and he's been consistently elite, but he's never been able to break through and take home the major hardware because mm-hmm. he always plays too few games, right? Last year he had, I think it was 111 points, but he yeah. missed about a dozen games. So I just want to see one full season of Pete McKinnon. Hopefully this is it. We've gotten it so far. Uh, he's at 84 points right now. He should be passing 111 if uh, he stays healthy. Here's one more question for you, and I was uh, talking to Pierre Lebrun about this a couple years ago. When there is, and hopefully there is, a best-on-best, best, 
and Canada plays whomever, would you play Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid on the same line? <laughs> I love that question. And I think I would. Uh, as someone who's made a lot of mock-ups, because, of course, we keep doing these mock-ups and we keep losing these tournaments that are mm. open for us. So I've done it many times over the years. Uh, and because Canada would have so much other depth to work with at center, uh, I would try it, yes. I would like to see the nuclear option and have McDavid and McKinnon on the first line together. That would be nuclear, wouldn't it? <laughs> Oh yes, <laughs> I'm just sure trying was. to figure out who the who the left winger would be. Never know. Well, it's funny. When, it uh, was Jonathan Huberdeau when I did it a few years ago, oh, but okay. that's really changed. So now uh, Canada's got more of a crisis on that left wing. It would take a little more uh, thinking. Maybe throw Connor Bedard on the left wing. See what happens. Wow. <laughs> uh, hey that Matt. Yeah. yeah, would that be something? Uh, hey Matt, thanks for your time this morning. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the All Star break and uh, have a peekaboo at uh, the skills and, and the game on the weekend. Thanks for this. I sure will. Thanks so much, Kevin. That's Matt Larkin from the Daily Faceoff and our headliner of the day. There's a reason they call him Mister, and that is the headliner of the day for Mister Ruder. For all your plumbing needs, go to MrRuder.ca. HVAC Nick goes, Hyman goes on the wing. That's an easy answer. So Hyman goes on the left wing uh, with McDavid at center and I guess McKinnon on the right side. What do you think? I don't know. That well, seems like a pretty good line. Uh, let's be honest. I mean, Zach Hyman, he's having, this is, the. I mean, an unreal year. When this best on best happens, what are the chances he's on the team? Well, that it's so funny because on a, like Matt said uh, over the year, over the last number of years, we keep doing these like mock-ups on a year-to-year mm-hmm. basis about like, if the Olympics or World Cup was this season, uh, what would Team Canada look like? I mean, hey, if there was a World Cup or an Olympics here uh, coming up in February, I don't think there's any doubt that you would put Zach Hyman on the team. Part of the reason being to ride shotgun with Connor McDavid. We've seen plays like this in the past, uh, you know, with your best players, putting players they're comfortable with. Chris Kunitz uh, alongside Sidney Crosby, like guys that have the ability to play with upper echelon players. If we're two more years down the road uh, when the next uh, actual Winter Olympic cycle is, not to say NHL players will be there, but if they were, who knows where Zach Hyman's at? Maybe this, like, there's a good chance this is his career year. I I don't Mm -hmm. think that's outlandish to say. And if he's back at his, I don't know, 25 to 30 goal pace in a couple seasons and maybe plugging along at uh, 70 to 80 points. Is that enough to to justify putting on what is like we, we've talked at length about Canada's uh, kind of disappearing depth in goal and stuff. But let's not be mistaken at, at forward. They are still chalk loaded and you got to be a pretty special player to crack that lineup um, in two years time. I don't know if Zach Hyman's that guy this year. I, I don't think it's a doubt he would be. Can you, would you remember so far back, you know who the the most, I guess, polarizing player that was ever named to an Olympic team for Canada? It's a, it's a hands down. It's was it the 98 Olympics 98, or the 02? Yeah, ni- uh, well, probably 98. Uh, it's not- Rob Zamner. Oh. He was picked in 98. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Z- and I mean, uh, Rob Zamner was a, was a really good NHL player, but just every, as soon as he was picked, it was like, what? Yeah. And I think he was, it was so he was picked ahead of Messier. In 98. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Gret still made the team. <laughs> yeah, but he was watching the shootout. <laughs> yeah, didn't get out there for that one. Uh, when we come back, we'll have a little uh, open text time. Give us a shout, too, as well. We'll talk to you. We'll talk to you in person, like a real conversation. 
1-833-401-1440. Then at the top of the hour, it's David Schlemko for Cougar Paint and Collision, our co-host from 9 to 11. Looking forward to talk a little Blue Jays baseball with uh, Cam Lewis from Blue Jays Nation. And then some uh, great uh, conversation that we're going to have with Dick Irvin, Canadian Broadcasting Hall of Famer, Order of Canada, Hockey Hall of Fame. He's been, uh, he's, you know, he's still sharp as a tack, 91 years old. Really looking forward to ta- uh, talking with Dick coming up at uh, 10 o'clock with Schlemmer. Here's a, here's a good story. So I talked to Dick Irvin on uh, Monday, I guess it was. And I thought, okay, I was just, you know, just maybe a quick conversation. We talked for half an hour. <laughs> a whole half an hour and we're getting texts in already about uh, Dick and his times and stuff like that. And he said, I told them um, that we would have a former Montreal Canadian David Schlemko as the co-host. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I've done some research on it already, he said. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that's how good Dick Irvin is. So uh, all that and more coming up uh, in a bit here on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. Well... So happy to name that tune in less than three notes right off the hop, Duke. And that's you got to be impressed with that. You crushed that one, Ken. Sammy Kershaw. He's one of our time all-time favorites. Good dude. Just a good singer. You know, he's like, he's a country guy. Oh. He's just, you know, a little less... Uh, he's He reminds me, he's the opposite of... Uh, you know, he's basically what Dusty went to in pure country after he got his ponytail chopped off and got <laughs> got rid of the lights and the smoke. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you yeah. mean. You watched that show, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. Pure uh, country. Pure George country. Strait. George Strait. Uh, great soundtrack. Oh, you know, at the very beginning in the when they're opening credits, uh, that's his son singing. That's George Jr. Did you know that? Uh I don't know if I knew that or not. Yeah. I think I might have. That's, uh, you know, when you hear twin fiddles and a steel guitar, yeah. like that's the main song that George sings. Yeah. But they do a real slow version when they're doing the credit. The opening r- role. The opening role. Yeah. Yeah, that's George Jr. Isn't that something? I, I knew his son was into the music scene as well, mm-hmm. um, but I'm, I'm not sure if I had ever heard that tidbit or not over the years. Well, okay. I, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Yeah, right. Well, let's see. George, George Jr. would have to be 45 years he's old, old right now. now. Yeah, oh, he's got to yeah. be somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah, George Strait, like that's my mom's yeah. That's my mom's favorite. How old is George Strait now? He's got to be 75. He's old, man. Like, <laughs> this is a, this is <laughs> like, a, like, let's dial back even 15 years ago, and I was like a kid, and we were watching one of the 100 different music mm-hmm. award shows on a Sunday night, and it was a country music one and George Strait was winning probably entertainer of the year for the hundredth time in his life yeah. and he's getting up on stage and my mom's just get she loves George Strait and my dad and I are like oh my god like he's gonna need a walker to get up on the stage there mm-hmm. pretty quick and that was a that was a long time ago even then so yeah he's old uh, but he I mean he can still sing he's he just still, great well and, I told and, you I saw him with the on the Willie Nelson 90th birthday yes. special and because great when you're a guy like George Strait obviously you know it, like his vocals are tremendous but it's not like he's wailing on high notes and stuff like it's just like it's a true country sound so you can just a, a simple melody with the guitar and stuff you can do that for a mm-hmm. long time and it doesn't really fade um fade with time or age and stuff so uh yeah George Strait he's top shelf Text coming in one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. We were talking best on best, and you know what? We should probably let's do a deeper dive on this tomorrow because we've got a lot of guests coming on. Mm-hmm. But Mitchell says Hyman would not be playing with McDavid. Think of the numbers the other Canadians would be putting up. Hyman would be fourth line if he was picked, and there are plenty of better options. Well, who are these options, Mitchell? Because 
don't see them. Don't know. I don't see the guys that you're talking about. We had Kalo in St. Albert says it would be Reinhardt if we're basing things on this year. And again, you're, you're taking all the best players. You're taking the centers. I think the last time they had 12 centers. Uh, in 2014. 20, yeah. Oh, yeah. You like- know, so you're taking the best players. You're, you're not. We're not picking Rob Zamner anymore. It's the way it is. <laughs> but as far as Canadians go, you would if you had Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid on an, on a line. The options, if you're looking at it right now, again, Sam Reinhardt is an option. Braden Point would be a, an option. Mitch Marner could possibly be an option. Sidney Crosby, we'll see when this happens. It could be 2050 by the time something happens. Another wild card could be Carter Verhage in Florida. But if you're if you're thinking that all these Canadians are blowing up and on fire when it comes to the NHL point scoring standings, like for points, they're mostly Europeans. Yeah. They're mostly Americans. There are not like the Mark Stone is right around the same amount of points as what Zach Hyman has. Yeah. So not you know maybe Stone moves down in the lineup. Uh, Mark Stone is like on a best on best team like that is like the world's best third line player a to, third, to play yeah, like a look third at, line center something like Canada that. Canada has done that in the past. I I think it was Taves Getzlaff and I can't remember who rounded out that they kind of played a checking role on uh, the 2014 Olympic An- team. Another guy that could move over left wing maybe Bo Horvat something mm-hmm. like that. There are a lot of guys, but for someone to say that Zach Hyman. Wouldn't be a possibility, not a chance. I agree with you, Duke. It, 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 we got to see when this happens. Yeah, you know, you know, the timing on this matters tremendously, of course. But there are, you know, in the top fifty of NHL scorers right now, there are more Europeans, more Americans uh, than Canadians. Mm-hmm. Uh, so AZ texted this in, kind of okay. leading to what you just said, Kevin. Uh, on paper, Canada should have the best roster, but who would be the second best? Sweden, USA, Russia. And to me, this isn't even close. Well, is Frank coming on to say the USA or yeah. what? Well, I, I think the Americans have yeah. the second best roster bar none. And I actually think at this point in time with the, the way their development's really ramped up over the past dozen years, mm-hmm. I think that USA's roster on paper, once again, on paper, uh, is pretty much on par with Canada's. Yeah. I, well, like th- their team is would be lights out good. And then you but you're taking the wild card into this with goaltending because now you have Hellebeck and and uh, Thatcher Demko, right? Like, oh, the the states we, we've talked about Russia's depth of goaltending and of course when we're talking best on best, uh, Russia might not even be a factor mm-hmm. uh, as they continue to be uh, mired in global uh, issues, but like the Russian goaltending incredibly strong top to bottom. I think the states are close to right there with them. Top of the hour, a special treat for you Duke. My mother-in-law, Sandra, Sandra Baker, I found four butter tarts in the freezer when I was getting my muffin out for the morning breakfast. Found four butter tarts because the Schlemdog millionaire said he is a butter tart aficionado. Aficionado, hey. And he has said he has tasted butter tarts all over the world, all over Canada, <laughs> and he says he knows what the best butter tarts are. Now, Sandra Baker, again, my mother-in-law had made these. My brother-in-law, I thought, was a, the top butter tart aficionado. Until you met Until Schlemmer. I met Schlemdog Millionaire. My brother, Kenny, he says that these butter tarts were even better than my mom's, which I said, that was a scary, because it's Christmas time mm-hmm. and things like that. But he said these are the best butter tarts he's ever had. So we're going to have these in the break when Schlemmer gets in here. You're going to have one. Uh, Donnie P's going to have one. His, he thinks it might be his first butter tart ever. <laughs> 
<laughs> first butters. Everything's new for Donovan the intern, isn't it? Yeah, my, I'll tell you, my, my dad will be jealous. Uh, butter tarts are his favorite. Okay, that, so I need you to give him a full report and, yeah. and just, I want an honest opinion. That's the only way I know how. Yeah, so we're going to have a butter tart. No uh, holds barred. A little bit butter tart tasting contest here during the break here. But before that, uh, David Schlemko will join us at 9 o'clock for Cougar Payton Collision. Time now for uh, Sports 1440 Update. Brought to you by... Tommy Guns. It's Tommy Guns or nothing less. Uh, home of the ultimate grooming experience. Our hot towel shaves and awesome haircuts and treatments were designed for you. Please book now at TommyGuns.ca. Here is the Duke.